You're listening to episode 170 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. It's award season, baby! And your pals are cleaning up all the awards. We won the Golden Pods, where we surprisingly won the most dense uh, field of competition. Best podcast with a bunch of dudes. That was pretty dope. Uh, <laughs> to be fair, that's like 90% of podcasts. So. Well, Really clean that up. To be more specific, we won best podcast with a bunch of dudes, three of which are white and two are not. That's what we won. That's true. Well, yeah, you're right. Most diversity for sure. (laughs) (laughs) I was very happy that we beat the Pod Save America guys. Now we have the Academy Award podcasts. We got that coming up. I think we're going to win and I'm definitely going to win. Best male podcaster. Best dude podcaster. There is no best female podcaster. Best male podcaster. (laughs) <laughs> I hate this bit. I hate this bit so much. Oh, that's funny. Um, well, by the end of the Academy Awards, you'll see Walking Phoenix win for Joker and me winning Best Dude Podcaster. <laughs> All right. It's just like two Jokers winning. Two clowns. <laughs> two clowns. <That's> right. <laughs> Joker's running wild, baby. Oh, my God. Well, uh, if you want to vote for Phil, you can do so uh, at the comicspals at gmail.com. Don't know why you yes, would. Yes, sir. No one's voting for your ass. Uh, <laughs> vote for Sean. He deserves it for putting up with this shit every week. Thanks, dude. He's he's the hero that this podcast needed. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Pete, you already won your, your raspberry. That's all you got for me? That's true, you I'm did. I'm the worst podcast. I'm not even the worst podcaster on this show. But that's You've mm, shown time and time damn. again. That's not even I got like, the awards, baby. <laughs> you're the worst podcaster. Oh, you know. <laughs> what a dig. <laughs> like. <laughs> okay. Um, so what? You don't need to be good at this to do it. You've done it for 179. So I've proved that for years. <laughs> in, in any event, we've got a lot to talk about today. Big, big show. And uh, I want to let you guys know where you can find us before we jump into all that. So first of all, I want to say that you should join our Discord. Uh, It's a cool place. There's a lot of fun people there. We always have an interesting conversation going. It's really, really popping. Like, we've had it for two weeks, and it's been cool. Video game talk, comics, anime, all that jazz, whatever your flavor of wrestling. Uh, Yeah, there was a big conversation about heavy metal not that long ago. Yeah. All kinds of stuff, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've 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 even got uh, an audio file of a woman in wrestling doing a very interesting thing. And don't uh, don't plug. I'm that. not going to say anything part. more. If you want to hear it, you got to join our Discord. <laughs> oh, if you want to get the show in other places, other avenues, you can do so by looking us up on Google or wherever you like to look stuff up at at the Comics Pals at Gmail or at the Comics Pals. Uh, you can get us at the Comics Pals wherever your social media is sold. Comicspals at gmail.com, as I said earlier. And if you're checking us out on YouTube, we welcome you. Make sure that you guys are liking the video, sharing it with your friends, dropping us a comment, and of course, subscribing. The subscribes help us out a ton. Uh, hit the notification bell so you're made aware of when we drop our content. All that stuff is free to do, helps us out a lot more than it costs you. Book clubs, we've got Spider Man. Life story dropping tomorrow. We've got, uh, gosh, what else do we have, guys? We've done so many of these. Watchmen. Watchmen Watchmen Palooza Month. Yeah, we've got the Watchmen Book Club. We've also got the Watchmen Retrospective where we look at the successors to Watchmen, 
the alternative futures being Doomsday Clock and HBO's Watchmen, and we compare and contrast, see which one did it better, and lots of other book clubs that you can find in a playlist somewhere. SoundCloud has a playlist, all the book clubs. Check it out. Our Al Ewing interview is up right now. Phil and I spoke to the man himself. We're going to be reviewing Guardians of the Galaxy number one today, which, of course, he wrote. And uh, he had a lot of interesting stuff to say, so you're going to want to hear that. Yes, sir. Someone, oh, and yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, also check out the TKO review podcast mm. that Kale and Marco have been doing, because uh, we're doing a lot podcast. of content lately. Yeah. <laughs> Soon enough, this section right here is just going to be the whole show, and we're going to have to, you know, bounce out after it's just that. housekeeping this show all the other shows we've done this show is just a rundown of all right well this week we are we did the 90 other programs we've got coming out for you yeah so we should do ads for ourselves, where we pay ourselves that's how that works take money from you as soon as possible mm-hmm. kill whenever you're ready <laughs> uh, <laughs> so someone else who had something interesting to say this week uh, is actually Jennifer Aniston. Not a okay. name you thought you'd ever hear on this podcast, I'm sure. But today, today today's a new day, and today, uh, you know, we're trying some stuff out. So Jennifer Aniston recently uh, actually won a SAG award for uh, a show called The Morning Show. Who knows what that is? I always, you know, thought The Morning Show was like the news, right? Is that that Apple show? Yeah, I couldn't tell you. Literally it don't is- have a clue. It's morning news, the show. Okay. Riveting. <laughs> now, what... Just like that show. Yeah. What she had to say was the following. I wanted to be Wonder Woman, but I waited too long. Oh. I don't know. I have a lot to do. I honestly feel like I'm kicking into a creative stride that I discovered a new love of this in a new way that I didn't know I had before. All right, so Jennifer Aniston wants to be Wonder Woman. I mean, listen, I want to be Wonder Woman. That's not that big a deal. Okay, what Jennifer Aniston wants to act as Wonder Woman. Oh, oh, yeah, damn! All right, that's that's <laughs> new. Now that's new. Uh, uh, did we skip the Powers polls? <laughs> <laughs> he's 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 just like. He's out to lunch. So, do we all agree, first of all, before we you know get into the bit, that that's an awful idea? Um, I mean, yeah. In, no, I, in 2020, sure. Yeah. <laughs> At what point in human history was that actually not a bad idea, Kale? Uh, right after Friends. She was at the height of her popularity, dye her hair. Would have been fine. 2000. I can see it. Yeah. I can tell. Now, this is what I'm putting down. Post-Spider-Man 2. Uh, <laughs> alongside Fantastic Four, yeah, in that era, worked. okay, yep. Wonder yeah, Woman worked. on Friends. Okay, okay. there was Surely an episode. They did that. There was an episode where Joey dressed up as Superman. So I mean, I guess sure we can make that but happen. But did Joey and Jennifer Aniston have a relationship? Yes, At the actually, end of the series. Oh, yeah, well, near the end. There you go. All right. Holy crap! Wow. We are. This is working. Ra- All right, so let's cast the rest of the Friends characters as the Justice League and see where this goes. Namor as Ben Schwimmer. That's not. He is well, not in the Justice League. That is a different almost. universe. <laughs> this son of a bitch said Namor, and I thought he said Aquaman. 
I just immediately thought of Aquaman because that makes sense. Your oh your brain auto corrected. Yeah. <laughs> You're just like, yeah, right, sure. Whatever you say, buddy. But Ben Schwimmer as Aquaman, okay, Schwimmer. No, 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 no. Dave Schwimmer. David Schwimmer. David Schwimmer. Right, David Schwimmer. Okay, and, and David as Aquaman? Schwimmer. No, 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 no. Yeah. Aquaman as David Schwimmer. No, no, you're getting, you're missing the point of the game, Mark. hold on, I we like need to this game. <laughs> <laughs> this is the kind of, this is the kind of out of the box thinking the comics pals are known so for. So now we're doing a Friends reboot where all the characters are replaced by the Justice League. Is that what yeah, we're doing? Yeah, actual right. So it's like, right. well, it's just, it, it, it's, it's basically like every time that the Justice League isn't out saving the world, they're just hanging out at a coffee shop talking yep. shit about their other friends, like you know. There is a restaurant actually in canon in, in the Batman universe that is a or the DC universe that is a Batman themed restaurant. So what if the Justice League just went out there. there to just chill and eat? That's so funny! Holy shit! They're just sitting, chilling down, eating their burgers. Yeah. Uh, so the real game that I wanted to play was oh, okay. So Jennifer Aniston as Wonder Woman that sucks. What doesn't suck? Who could Jennifer Aniston? play so not to be um you know like ageist or anything but it's like she's obviously not like she's not in in the the range i think to play like a younger superhero anymore i'm just i'm just no selling marco i'm not i just love the fact that you said not to be ageist and then you immediately (laughs) talk about age sorry leaned into it yeah, well, no. you know what I mean. Like, come you're on. not wrong. I just don't think you needed to preface it if you were going to barrel ahead, right, anyways. Right, fine. Yeah, fine. you're the type of person that's like, uh, not to be racist, but <laughs> whoa, yeah, you're right. that's definitely that's definitely the same thing, Phil. It's definitely. The I same mean, thing. oh my god. Okay. Sorry, Eastmaster. Carry on. No oh boy. All right. No, no, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna scroll through Instagram until you guys. Oh are done. my god, <laughs> that's so unprofessional. <laughs> so unprofessional. Uh, oh my god. Okay, okay. Uh, All right. So what I was trying to say is that she's too old to play a young hero. So you, you could have her play. Son of a bitch. You could have her play a legacy hero, uh, or. Some supporting character, and I feel like that's where you're at. Like who? <laughs> I got it. I, I got mean, it. I got it. She, she can ahead, play Marla. Amethyst. Take it. But like who? a post, like a post uh, destruction of that world where Amethyst has to like come back and <sighs> defeat and liberate the her peoples. Sure. Uh, Amethyst of uh, Gem World. Yeah. Damn. All right. That's. Okay. I read that, yeah. Hell yeah. I I liked it better when we were casting the (laughs) Justice League as (laughs) (laughs) friends. I didn't expect a real answer. Yeah, we didn't gang up on you for that. (laughs) That's a good answer. Yeah, that was a legitimate answer. I thought someone was going to say Spider-Man. It crushed the moment, but it was... (laughs) I was thinking really hard about it. What if she played Aunt May? (laughs) I mean... Aww. Worked out pretty well for Marissa Tomei. That's right. <laughs> I totally take that. Not to be ageist, but I think she should play it. <laughs> Excuse me. I was going to say, wouldn't that be let a me... step backwards from Marissa Tomei? Oh, my God. <laughs> let, let me be ageist for a second. What if she was 
<laughs> wow. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. All right. Well, this bit already <laughs> eclipsed what I thought was going to happen <laughs> I got here. so much more mileage out of this so than I ever expected. I'm over it now. <laughs> oh, man. Well, whatever Jennifer Aniston chooses to do uh, within this sphere, I'm excited to see it. Sure, why not? All right, so we had our fun. Now it's time to get serious. We got some listener mail, and uh, it is a doozy, but it's a really tremendous email. I'll say that even before anything. Yeah. And uh, I can't wait to dive in. So, Pete, take it away. All right, so this came from Mitchell, who wrote into us over on uh, our email address, where you can hit us up, thecomicspals at gmail.com, um, as well as all the other places that Sean mentioned. You can get your thoughts right on the air, just like he did. He says, hello to the Comics Pals. First time writer here. I've been listening to your podcast over the past year, and I really enjoy it. I don't dig into mainstream comics-related news often, like CBR, and have found that I rely on your show to stay in the loop. I appreciate the banter between hosts, hearing about books that are new to me, and the in-depth coverage of specific issues, particularly why Hoxpox was being released. I don't tend to send emails like this, but in your recent show, Are Modern Comics Uninspired, it sounded like you had a genuine desire for fan interaction, so I thought I would take the, electro- the electronic plunge. Nice. Well, thanks for writing in. Yeah, I, this is great. So speaking of which, th- that is the episode I would like to comment on. I appreciate you covering questions about the health of modern comics, Rob Liefeld's comments, and the critical approach to comparing eras of the comics medium and their respected artistic merits. I think it's a really interesting conversation. It is one I'm fairly opinionated about. Comics today are on fire. Honestly, I think we are in the middle of a renaissance of comics art. The mainstream Big Two stuff is incredible. Is anyone reading Jimmy Olsen or the Green Lantern? What about the Jinx World stuff? Pearl was the best book coming on... Coming to the LCS, Michael Gatos could teach a class on sequential art using those pages. Bendis' Superman 18 with big press, uh, with the big press conference scene when Clark revealed his identity literally choked me up. What about Far Sector? Kelly Sue's work on Aquaman? The Question? Daniel Warren Johnson's Wonder Woman Dead Earth? Everything coming out of Dawn of X, even Fallen Angel, which is incredibly underrated, and I think people are missing what makes it great. The first issues of Thor and Doctor Strange, Image is in a slump, and it is still releasing Gideon Falls and Die and 20XX and Undiscovered Country and Olympia and much more. Mainstream comics are great right now. This, however, is not even the problem I have with Rob Liefeld's comments. I'll try to minimize my snark. Either Liefeld has a deficit in recognizing great art or he is simply not being exposed to what this medium is currently offering. As much as I enjoy the mainstream stuff going uh, the mainstream stuff, going to my LCS on Wednesday and chatting up the owner is the uh, is the small press stuff that really excites me. If Liefeld honestly thinks that modern comics are uninspired, then he is simply ignorant of what is being produced. I actually hope this is the case because I think fondly of him and I don't want to believe that he is actively trying to diminish working artists, the comics medium or fans enthusiasm in order to alleviate some unconscious narcissistic wounding through ill-advised Twitter frenemies. That's a wonderful sentence. (laughs) There are many dozens of ongoing serialized comics that are advancing the comics medium, many looking profoundly into the human condition and offering meaningful observation. Here's my list. And what a list. There's some stuff I've never, ever heard of on here that I'm looking forward to checking out. Uh, Pope Hats by Ethan Riley, Hartley Lynn, Adhouse Books. Blamo by Noah Van Skyver, uh, Kilgore Books. Crickets by Sammy Harkham, self-published. Lose, or, yeah, it's yeah, Lose. Um, by Michael DeForge, Koyama Press. Tongues by Anderson Nilsson, self-published. Cosmic B-ing, but it's like being. Um, by Alex Graham, self-published, Kilgore Books. Uh, Powdered by Milk by Kyler Roberts, self-published. 
Floppy by Carl Stevens, Kilgore Books. Only one issue's out, but it was my favorite comic of last year. Not to mention minis and graphic novels. Not to mention everything coming out of Floating World Comics. What about Michael Fife, Copra, or Charles uh, Forsman, Revenger, Slasher? They're heavily influenced by his 90s macho violence, and they are doing it superior to anything he has ever done. I don't want to be the self-righteous comic hipster, but I'm willing to be. My first agenda is to share great comics with people that might be interested. My second agenda is to confront Liefeld's nonsense. Here is my litmus test. If Liefeld has not heard of any of the books on that list, then he should shut the fuck up about the health of modern comics. What a wonderful, wonderful letter, Mitchell. That was a great email. That deserves a round of applause. Yeah, I'm I'm impressed by that. I genuinely am. Good work, man. Thanks for writing in. It's always great to hear from, you know, somebody new. And, uh, yeah, we are definitely, you know, we want to get that that interaction. So send in your letters. Yeah, we appreciate it. Uh, We all have a lot to say. I'm actually most intrigued to hear what Marco thinks because uh, this is up his alley. So why don't you go ahead? Uh, I want to address your, your optimism, first of all, especially with regards to the, the, the industry right now. I I definitely agree. It's on fire. There's absolutely a Renaissance with art, different people trying different things because of the ease of, of access and and distribution. You just get to see an incredible variety of, of storytelling of, of different ways to, to, consider what a comic even is so for me it's been absolutely thrilling to to experience that um and yeah especially the small press stuff for me um that's definitely the 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 where i feel comics is getting pushed to to its boundaries um and just off your list alone amazing stuff a lot of ad house books are really really good um i personally love carl stevens he was, I think, my 2018 to 2017 next breakout artist, which didn't happen. But <laughs> Floppy, we'll get him next year. We'll get him next year. Floppy's awesome. <laughs> self, uh, he does self-publish at through Kilgore. Really, really good. Um, Lose, I haven't read. Uh, it's, that's from uh, Michael DeForge. I do have uh, Ant Colony as well as Stunt, which he came out came out most recently from Koyama Press, and then obviously Koyama Press is is going away, unfortunately. Uh, and I have read his his big kids, but uh, yo, shout out to uh, to Michael Fife. He's awesome. Copra is really really good, and Olympia. I'm so glad you brought that up because I've been reading that series. And for anybody who is a Jack Kirby fan, that is your book to go to. Um, and yeah, dude. I mean, thank you so much for writing in. Uh, I I feel like we we come at the industry from from very similar perspectives uh, from what you've you've laid out here. Um, and yeah, uh, keep keep reading those books, keep pushing out, and keep pushing the the industry, man. We we need people like you reading and 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 buying and supporting. I'm not convinced that Absolutely. Marco isn't the one that wrote this essay as an excuse to have a platform to talk about more indie books. What? I would huh? I would love huh? that. That would have been hilarious. I the problem is all the the superhero references. Yeah. There's no way Marco would. <laughs> Damn, got he like me. did research to like get in character. Yeah, he's trying you know? to lure us into a false sense of security. I gotta throw him off my scent. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think I think you make a lot of really strong points here, Mitchell. Um, I, I definitely think to say that uh, that the mod- like modern comics are uninspired, I think, is definitely an ignorant position. Um, we we talked recently about how in our image uh, episode, like what last week or two weeks ago, um, about how there are kind of like more good books on the market than the market can sustain. 
You know, like I, I think that the problems with the co- modern comics are absolutely nothing to do with creativity. And it's like all comes down to the business of it needs to evolve. You know, the way that they're distributed, the way that people access them needs to evolve and change. But I think in terms of like content, you know, there's a comic for every reader right now. And I don't know that that's, you know, that's not always been the case, you know, and I, I know even when I was, you know, just a few years younger, the the diversity in terms of like just options was was not what it is now you know like when image was the place for creator owned books and now we have all of these publishers doing this kind of stuff you know um that that speaks to i think the creative health of the industry for sure and especially there's a lot of big two stuff that is really good you know that is high quality work and i think particularly when you talk about art you know which is i think a lot of times what liefeld is commenting on uh i think that you know there's there's kind of like the grant morrison look at that era of art where it was definitely like necessary and it's part of how we evolved to where we are today but i think it's it's hard to argue that the that there isn't like top tier high quality high caliber art going on in books across the spectrum right now you know like you look at somebody like you know like mitch gerads you know like he's amazing you know and yannick paquette like there's so many that i could just rattle off that are like all-time great artists working right now in big two stuff yeah i think comics are bad (laughs) and there it is he finally reveals his true opinion and he he tried to say that i was a bad podcaster that's what he hits us with that's his big joke i'm the award winner baby what a showstopper phil and i mean a literal showstopper as in you stop the show hush very good uh damn great book (laughs) it's a great book you're right (laughs) yeah I, i mean i don't think you're gonna get an argument on this podcast against what you're saying i think you know, we, we had a, a very long and nuanced debate about what Liefeld said, and we really try on this show to give as much life to the opinion as possible. Um, so even if we don't agree with him, which none of us did, that's not really the point in terms of trying to have a conversation that pushes the boundaries of thought, um, because a lot of people just want to say, no, you're wrong, and leave it at that. That's the life in life. Well, that's not interesting. It's not interesting conversation. Um, I, I really appreciate the list of comics, and I wanted to include that portion of your email here just because I know that a lot of, a lot of us were impressed and uh not not just by you throwing around your your knowledge but the fact that there are so many books that we haven't necessarily read you know and and um it just goes to show the depth of quality that exists in the industry when you can name so many comics and like most of them i haven't read you know um and none that none of us have read or heard of hey now well, and, and Marco, but please. they're they're all made by people who we we are familiar with, yet we we don't know any of those books. Man, I don't know half those names. I I knew a lot of those names and never heard of any of those books. Yeah, there you go. Um, so yeah, we really really appreciate you writing in, and uh, I would love to hear more from you. In fact, uh, I would love a message from you if possible. Just about how you found the show. I'm really curious 
Um, and anyone who wants to write in and just, just let us know how you found the show. Uh, that would be you really could, cool. You uh, could yeah. put, that, put that in a review on uh, Apple Podcasts, and uh, that would help us out a lot more than it would hurt you. That is a great point. We love those reviews, and uh, that could be part of your intro if you join the Discord. So uh, yeah. we, we And yeah, please come join the Discord. <laughs> yeah. You know? So thank you once again, Mitchell, for that. And we are going to move on. With the Pals polls, Marco uh, pulled Olympia number three. Oh, wow. Yeah, boy. Yeah. Uh, Olympia is an excellent book. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, very Kirby-esque. It's uh, written by Kurt Pires, Pires uh, Tony Pires, drawn by Alex Diotto, uh, D. Kniffy, and lettered by Micah Myers, uh, along with J- uh, Jason Copeland. And it's they got just, Mike Myers on this book? Yeah. <laughs> Michael Myers. Yeah, the the killer. No. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, and it's been it's been such a such a really interesting like meta book. Uh there's a like, references internally to comics and uh the industry. They met, they drop diamond distribution and how like they're late, like really just like clever Snyder marks and stuff and uh, a lot a lot of fun uh, that I think uh, anybody who's a fan of Kirby will really enjoy. Cool. Nice. And then you also chose Weatherman number six. Yes. So this finishes, this concludes the second arc of The Weatherman. And I love that book. Um, it's written by Jody Letup, drawn by Nathan Fox, and currently being drawn, uh, colored by Moreno Dionisio. Um And we actually had Nathan Fox on the show. I interviewed him. Uh, you can go search that. Uh, it's just one of our one of our interviews. Um, and yeah, I mean, the, the turn that this book has taken was super intriguing uh i definitely didn't expect it and when i had nathan on the show he uh he didn't reveal too much but uh definitely definitely hyped up the the turn and reveal there so really excited to to dig into it and um yeah i mean go check out that interview go check out his art it's excellent um and he also teaches at sva uh, the visual narrative course so if you also have any for any questions on that or you want any information you know uh, I would absolutely urge you guys to reach out and go check that out if you're an aspiring creator, uh, especially if you're living in New York City. Awesome. Very good plug there, too. Uh, Phil chose X-Men number five. Uh, yeah, I wasn't on the episode with X-Men number four, but that issue was dope as hell. Yes. And uh, I know we were critical of issue number three. Uh, I mean, a lot of us were. Uh, but I... I'm really enthusiastic about where Mr. Hickman is going to take us for issue number five. I am jazzed to all hell. I might wear a suit to that episode. <laughs> that would be good. <laughs> my my concern is that like that is going to be a standout issue and not necessarily a direction that we're going to keep going, which is something we talked about in that review, which was like, this is a great issue. I think it's, it's my favorite post-Hoxpox issue so far, but like... How many more boardroom politics issues like that are we going to get? And that was really like what made that issue so cool. Do we have a synopsis for issue five? I didn't even look because I was like, oh, issue four was great. I'm in. Let's do it. I know. I mean, I'm in either way. You know? Uh, okay. Yeah, there is definitely a synopsis. I can't recall what the uh, issue is going to be about, but like you said, in either way, right? Yeah. We'll be here. <laughs> As ever. 
so I chose Captain America number 18. I think that Captain America is one of the most underrated books that Marvel's putting out. And I don't say that I don't say that to mean that people aren't aware of the quality of the book cuz I think people know it's good. It's just that there's not a lot of talk about it in general. It's not necessarily too sexy. Um but it's very 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 good. Uh Ta-Nehisi Coates's run with this character has really really been awesome, especially in light of Secret Empire, kind of a way to redeem the character, not that he needs redeeming in the eyes of the audience, but in the world of Marvel people still think that he really was this monster when it you know wasn't him. And uh, so he's been going through that, reevaluating who his allies and enemies are, while a new evil sort of rises to try again to take over America, this time by stealth, not the overt, oppressive way that Hydra did. And it's made for a really fascinating story. And I wanted to call it out because there's still like enough people are talking about it. It's very good. Awesome. Yeah, I, I we read the first issue on the show, you know, how, quite some time ago, and um, I remember really liking that introduction to it. So we have to double back and check that out. I thought that was like a really good pitch for like a a solid cap run of just like he's got to go around and like make amends in the eyes of the 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 Marvel universe's public or whatever. It's like it's a it's a good setup. It's funny because it's the exact same setup that they used in the prior uh, volume with Mark Wade. Mark Wade picked up the book right after Secret Empire. He did the same oh, thing, but he okay. did it like the way you just said it. He did that exactly. Like literally just Cap has to go apologize. And there's just that. And then things happen while he's going apologizing. This is more like not apologizing, but having to address the realities in a very political way of the way that he's viewed now and how that changes his abilities to act as Captain America. So very nuanced book. That's something that like, I, I feel like uh, based on the black Panther run that Coates did, um, like he, he handles that really well, like juggling a character's personal struggle amid like a broader political context or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, then the other book I chose was immortal Hulk number 30. We just nice. interviewed Al Ewing. Uh, Immortal Hulk is brilliant. It's not overhyped. You've probably heard a lot about it. Uh, we've talked a lot about how it, you know, it beats Batman and, and, and you know the numbers. And uh, there, it's not just because people are talking about the book because they're talking about it because it's really good. And I'm really excited to see what Al Ewing has in store because of all of the things that he's done so far and how much he talked about wanting to make sure that the book kind of never feel stale. Yeah. I almost can't even imagine how far he can push it. Is it a book that you feel like could go for another, like, 30 issues, or do you feel like it needs to end you'll, at some point? You'll have like, to listen to our Al Ewing interview. He talks about this. Okay. I'll have to check it out. I haven't um, listened to it yet. Yeah, he, he addresses that. This is a historic run. This is going to go down to analogs of comic history for sure. So, let's jump in. Shout-outs to Al. Yeah, big shout-outs. Go listen to our interview. Uh, let's jump into the news, and we're going to start with an answer to a question that I think we all had. <clears throat> what is J.J. Abrams' Bad Robot Warner Brothers connection going to do for the DC films? We now know 
or I shouldn't say we know it confirmed, but Deadline is reporting, and that's a pretty good bet. Yeah, you can take that to the bank. Yeah, that Bad Robot is going to be developing exclusively film and TV projects for Justice League Dark. That's all right. No, thank you. Thank th- We'll just put that back on the shelf. It, that's all right. <laughs> so, I we talked about this a while ago because I I remember there was a point where there was kind of a rumor about Bad Robot working with DC, and I remember us kind of talking about it in the context of like a Superman movie and all these other things. So my thing with this is I don't I don't think much of J.J. Abrams as a um as a director or as like a writer. a screenwriter <laughs> but right and i i don't but i but i will say i think he's a very good producer like he's really good at um at putting together talent like you look at like the the cast of the new star wars trilogy i don't think that like you know any of us would disagree that like the the main new main characters were all like good actors and and fit their roles well and like that's a thing that that he's done so the idea of like him having a creative role in these i'm not super jazzed about but the idea of his production company being like okay cool like who are some like up-and-coming actors that we can um, put together for this put together the right director behind the chair that kind of stuff i think i could see that working out because i think that's really what his strong suit is is casting and and like getting the right creative talent together as long as he's not the one executing i'm not a jj abrams hater outright but i don't even know if you can give him that credit because there's so many people involved with casting and things like that that i don't know if you can say that the cast of any one movie being great is necessarily because of him and, and i would say that that's probably most true in the case of Star Wars because so many people have to agree sure. that these are the people to be in the movie. Yeah, I'll give you that. Looking at the list of films from Bad Robot Productions, it's not a great set of movies. Um, I didn't see this, but a lot of people told me it was good. It was Mission, Impo- Mission Impossible Fallout. People said that was like the best yeah. Mission Impossible movie, but otherwise, it's it's a pretty bleak list of movies, I'd say. What else is on there? Um... Let's see. There's all the Star Trek movies. There's Cloverfield. There is. I wouldn't say those are bleak. Those are both hits. Hey, like whether you like them suck. or not, you know, like. See, we're talking. We're talking about a good Justice League Dark movie. So maybe that movie grows as well. I'm looking for quality here, baby. I don't think Cloverfield is bad. Wasn't great. Well, uh, specific specific to to Justice League Dark. Uh, I've been hungrily waiting for this for more than 10 years, so I'm not holding my breath. Um, <clears throat> give yeah. it back to Yumbo Del Toro, please. Right. Yeah, who knows? Or, That's the thing, man. Whatever version we get will not be as good as I, that. I, I mean, mm, I wouldn't say that necessarily. I think, I don't know, with the right hands, yes. Uh, I, I was really positive on it being with him originally. Uh, but obviously, when he passed it off, like I, I, I don't, I don't know. Uh, now that it's with J.J. Abrams and this company, um, I mean, hopefully they find the talent for it. Like a James Wan, would probably be really cool. Uh, like somebody else from within, like oh, in, a more indie horror spot, or or just a horror director in general. Oh. 
But I mean, for action adventure, that's not the Justice League Dark, I don't think. Dude, I just like get Guillermo back. Like, dude, like that guy slays at this kind of movie. Like, he's so good at taking like you know, like look at like the shape of water, right? Or it's like that he made that on a shoestring fucking budget and like it was best picture. Look, fucking come on. Like get him back. Give him like a a fraction of what you would give somebody else and it'll make a better movie for it. <laughs> There, there's a few wrinkles here that I, I think are interesting. So, <clears throat> for those of you who are unfamiliar, Justice League Dark is a team of, you know, heroes, I guess, in the DC Universe, and they're kind of like the mystical monster end of the spectrum. The leader of that team is Wonder Woman. That's not. Oh, now, I, now it is. Yes, it is. Yeah. I was like, yeah. I was like wait, no, it's not. Uh, <laughs> oh, wait, now, yeah. So, obviously, that's different than it was when the book first launched, but Wonder Woman gives that team star power that it doesn't have otherwise. And I feel like a great way to make a Justice League Dark movie almost instantaneously bankable is to have Wonder Woman in it. But I don't actually think DC would want to do that. And and I definitely think that, I mean... John Constantine is is a popular enough name for for it to carry. Uh, you, Come but, on, I mean, people Think? fondly remember the Keanu movie, uh, and the the the. the does anyone even know that that's a comic though? Well, like, but, I don't. But, I don't feel but, like that. I don't think people remember it because it's a good Constantine. No, no, no but property. they remember it because it was a like they remember that as a Constantine product. Like the the product, the product I think is there and can stand on its own with that character. Yes, Wonder Woman being added on adds to that, but I don't think it's it's necessary. And say what you will about the CW uh, shows, their version of Constantine is pretty fucking good. Yeah, it was. It wasn't. It wasn't very like it didn't connect though. Like it got canceled. He's after, back like, on season, Legends right? now. So. Oh, cool. Okay. All right. Yeah, I don't know. I I. I... I don't know about the star power of one John Constantine. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. <laughs> uh, but that being said, I think I think that a Justice League Dark film could work. It definitely could work. I just don't know if this is the time. I, I really don't. They've got Birds of Prey. They've got Suicide Squad. Then you add on Justice League Dark. It's three team movies. Uh, I I don't know. I'm not. Sh- I just don't know what the point of this all is. And I guess the point ultimately is to just make movies and make them good yeah. if you can. But I, it feels like a lot of like an almost oversaturation, and they don't even have a continuity. Like it's it's just weird. I feel like they are just literally throwing shit at the wall and hoping that stuff sticks. You know, because like you look at what they're doing right now, they are so all over the place. Like they had a very clear roadmap of like, this is what we're doing. We're competing with Marvel. Then it, when it started to fall apart, they're like, all right, we're going to pivot. And then it feels like they just keep pivoting. Cause it's like, okay, cool. We know that we're still moving forward on this Batman movie, which may or may not be in the continuity that we already know anymore. Because if they came out and were like, hey, this is a reboot, I wouldn't be surprised by that at all. It doesn't have any connections to anything else. Why would it need to keep pushing forward on stuff that nobody, not nobody, but the vast majority does not 
like or connect with. Like, bring Gal Gadot forward. Her movies are kind of, like, in a bubble anyway. And, like, keep the one thing that's working and move on and do something else. Because, like, if they had that kind of plan, they wouldn't have made Joker. And Joker was a, you know, a huge success for them. So, like, why not do another auteur-driven film like a Dark Avengers where it's, like, nobody knows who – or Justice League, sorry, Justice League Dark, um, <laughs> where, uh, where where the characters, like, they don't really have the same re- name recognition as a Batman or a Superman, like, you know, argument about Constantine aside, like, aside from him, who else is a name on that team? Swamp Thing. That's, like, it. And, you know, I would say taking a, a group of characters like that and trying to do, you know, a new, fresh team movie that is stylistically different than what you've done that maybe costs a little less to make. I don't know. Like, maybe that's the thought is, like, maybe we don't need hard continuity. We can have them cross over as much as we want, you know? Thanks for the shout-out, Pete. Zatanna. Um, well, it, the the Flashpoint stuff yeah, she's a big has, does it, hasn't that confirmed that, like, all the timelines are connected within, like, a multiverse or something? The what? Uh, I don't. I don't know if anyone's watched it. The Flashpoint thing with um the Flash show. Oh, Crisis. That. Oh, was that? Is that what it was? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Uh, I. Th- I mean, I. I think that's the implication. Okay. I haven't gotten because I. Yet. I remember seeing something about like, uh, spe- well, specifically because Swamp Thing popped up, but like he, he got mentioned that that character plus like other characters from the movies, the other Flash had come out or something. Because like, yeah, Ezra Miller was yeah. in it, right? Right. Yep. Right. So that would that connects everything in a weird way, and like. They can kind of pivot their way around that as much as they want or need to now. Yeah. Like, you know, it doesn't really matter. Like, if they – we talked about them making another movie, like, in the Joker universe. They could do that. We would get it. You know, they could make another movie in the existing DCU. Or they could reboot all that shit with, like, a Crisis movie. Like, they can really do whatever they want at this point. Dr. Fate uh, would be a good one. I like that Pete – I like that Pete called the Justice League the Dark Avengers because, honestly – Fair. <laughs> well, and then just after that, I almost said Days of Future Past instead of Crisis. I'm just, like, all scrambled. <laughs> Marco, <laughs> let me ask you this. Would you rather see Justice League Dark or or a Swamp Thing movie? Like, which oh, one? I was going to say Swamp Thing, right? No, no Justice League Dark. That's tough, yeah. Justice League Dark, because oh, okay. Swamp Thing is much better in a ser- serialized. I agree. I feel like his kinds of stories would be better in like a TV show format rather than, you know, like having to cram it into a two hour, like superhero kind of structure. But buddy, isn't your favorite movie of all time? Wes Craven Swamp Thing movie. Oh no. The sequel actually. (laughs) The return of the Swamp Thing. (laughs) All right. Fair enough. I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not all the way in. Yeah, and I think some of that has to do with the Bad Robot Association. But I, th- this is a good. It's a good group of characters. Uh, I mean, it would most likely have some some combination of Constantine, Xanadu, Zatanna, Swamp Thing. Already, we said that. Um, you know, probably like Dead Man, Detective Chimp will be clutch. Oh my god! Yeah, please, please give me Detective Chimp too. Detective Chimp is the new Rocket Raccoon. <laughs> Yes. Who's, who's that dude that he? I think he ca- carries like a flaming sword or something, and he always. Etrigan. Etrigan. Oh, Etrigan. Yeah, the demon Etrigan. Yeah, 
I think he would be like the he would be like the yeah. Drax. Yeah. Ooh. Enforcer. All right. So what's the team? Let's just do it. That I mean, oh, right there, easy. and then like I, I feel like there's the possibility of what Sean said, where you roll Wonder Woman in there to like give it the bump. No, fuck that. That's not Wonder Woman is not on my team. <laughs> John Constantine is your Star Lord. Uh, sure. Detective Chimp is your Rocket Raccoon. Swamp I'll Thing is your Groot. Uh, Ooh. I know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, who else is on Guardians? Uh, Gamora. We need Gamora. Oh, Zatanna. Right. And don't like her for Gamora, but point point made. Who, who's the Who's the fifth one in that movie? Oh, Drax. Which yeah, is the Demonetra guy. Yeah. Boom. I feel like that's a solid I, team. I would also put in uh, Dead Man. Yeah, same. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And. I would have Doctor Fate make an appearance. All right, mm. that's fine. That's seven. what is this? I would no have love sh- for Man Bat. Nah, I fuck want Man, Man Bat. Bat. No. <laughs> I, no, I want Man Bat, dude. I need that. Keep him. Keep him in the fucking Batman universe where he yeah, belongs. No, no. no. I, 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 I think. Oh, I'm a backwards. I'm a backwards Batman. I did it wrong. <laughs> I, th- oh, I think that'd no. be a really fun antagonist. Do- have Langstrom accidentally make like an army of man bats, like at the beginning of Morrison's uh, Batman. Oh, that would be that'd cool. Be cool. Oh, yeah. That would be All right. Ninja man bats. Yeah, that could be good. Sean. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I never want to see ninja man bats ever again. But I will say that the idea of including him makes a lot of sense because. Uh, in the original Justice League Dark comic book, I don't remember the exact premise. It might, it actually may have been the the re the reboot by James Tinian, but uh, Langstrom is actually pivotal in that, and so I could yeah, see him being reboot. like an antagonist who kind of gets maybe rolled into the team at the end type thing. But uh, oh, Blue Devil! No, all right, see, Blue now, Devil. now it's just off the rails. Everyone just, just fucking hates Blue Devil. We have eight <laughs> people now. Jesus, <laughs> I get. I I get Justice League Dark confused with their earlier sort of magic team. Uh, it was around the crisis. Ragman. Ooh. Ragman was on that team, yeah. Um, what were they called? Um, I don't remember. Give me a second. Constantine was on the team. Uh, Zatanna was as well. Um, I can figure out the name of this team. Shadow I was going to make a Doom Patrol joke. Shadow Pact. Yes, Shadow Pact. That is a cool name. That is cooler than than Dark, uh, Justice, Justice League Dark. Dark. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Blue Devil wishes he was Hellboy, basically. I mean, yeah, but he's blue. So <laughs> he, he can't be. Yeah, this isn't an Eiffel 65 song, my dude. D- don't be blue. Oh, God. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, it turns out that today is actually Marco's luckiest day because we are going to be continuing to talk about Swamp Thing. Two oh. whole segments in a row, buddy. Yeah. When does this ever happen? Uh, so we're going to be getting a retelling of the, or I should say a reimagining of the origin for Swamp Thing in a book called Swamp Thing Twin Branches. This is going to be by Maggie Steve Fodder and Morgan Beam. Yo. And uh, <laughs> so uh, it's, it's it's said to be a poignant coming of age tale about family, friendship, and acceptance. Maggie had this to say about it. We live in a world of increasing connectivity and increasing disconnect. It's easier than ever to meet someone with shared interests, which makes it harder to realize that just because someone looks just like you, they may see the world completely different 
believe in you do. Nature and humanity, though, have always had this difficult and fascinating relationship, equal parts longing and logic and misunderstanding and projection, and I thought a reinvention of Swamp Thing would be an incredibly satisfying way to explore how hard complex relationships are as we learn who we are and what we need. It was fun to see Morgan's art grow wilder and more unsettling as the story desperately dug into the dirt and reached for the sun. Yeah, that's what I'm excited for. Morgan specifically, her art, uh, Morgan Beam on Instagram, excellent follow. Uh, she does these wonderful, luscious watercolors, um, really good with plants, really good with just like nature, uh, again, very nature aesthetic that uh, actually, <clears throat> well, I, I put it up on my, um, on my Instagram story that, you know, this is all that matters and, and stuff. And uh, she actually responded. She said, thank you. Uh, I told her I'm really excited for it. Uh, so she was really excited for the kind words. Uh, and she's really looking forward to, to releasing this book. Um, and yeah, man, uh, I mean, the premise is interesting. I've always been, I, I've always been interested in someone taking it outside of the realm that we sort of know because uh, that is crazy. ideally he is a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, cause ideally, uh, the, the character is just an elemental. So technically you can sort of switch that and swap that into other characters, which has been explored in the past with, uh, his daughter. But, uh, this is just something that's really interesting and I think it's a very novel concept. So I'm looking forward to seeing what it, how it comes out and, and, and what it looks like, but, but very excited. Anything Swamp Thing is a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think this, this has the potential to be really cool. Um, I, I love the art style. I think it looks it's it's really nice and uh, it's it's different as well. And it's I distinct. think distinct. Yeah, Swamp Thing is a character who you know what we, with what we just talked about his show, although short lived. Uh, it, it appears that DC really has some confidence in the character. Mm-hmm. They want to use him more, so I think he's due for this kind of you know retelling of his origin. And especially in the young adult space yes. where there's an opportunity to appeal him to a different crowd uh, and also to play a little faster and looser than if this were like a, you know, six issue, you know, monthly series. Uh, I think this is a good opportunity for the character. Yeah. And and I think for, for the way it's being published like and, and catered as a as a YA uh, graphic novel. I think that was also interesting to me because I've not I've not read many. Um, so this will also be like a good sort of uh, entrance point to maybe exploring other things and and uh, just just experiencing something new in a different format, a different way. Here's the thing that I've really learned in my time with uh, teens and young adults. They just love kissing plants. Hell yeah, <laughs> dude. They just—they're all about smooching those there's, plants. There's you know? no part of that sentence that didn't make me uncomfortable. Teens today are tree huggers. <laughs> nice. Tree, tree hugging, smooching. You want to finish that? Uh huh. Yeah, no. yeah. I see that face teens, getting red, dude. Teens are yucky. <laughs> yeah. Teens are yucky. I don't want nothing to do with that. Need right on. Yeah, that's how you get poison ivy on your people. Huh? Oh my god, what? <laughs> Soundbite of the episode. You know what? Leaving that there. Yep. Okay. So. She's dating Harley Quinn now, so I don't. You're not going to get her on dun, your people. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Congratulations are in order for one. Thanks. Of- not for <laughs> Kale. <laughs> Good bit, Kale. <laughs> Congratulations are in order for one Rick Remender, 
who has signed a three-year deal with Sony Pictures Television. Damn. Never heard of him. Yeah. Right? <laughs> uh, the first thing that's going to come out of this deal, uh, well, th- they did Deadly Class together, so there was that. But the first thing coming out of this deal now, this new deal, is actually Fear Agent. Fear Agent being the comic he co-created with Tony Moore, uh, started over at Image, went over to Dark Horse, and now they're going to be uh, making it an Amazon TV show. Whoa! So yeah, and it's going to be cool. uh, it's going to be produced by Seth Rogen, uh, Matt Talmick, and uh, David F. Sandberg. Sandberg, you may know him from having directed Shazam. Right. Okay. Oh, that was uh, a good one. Yeah, yeah. I'm surprised that it's just Seth Rogen and not. The other guy that he produces with, he has like a partner that he usually. Franco? No, no, no. Uh, I mean, it, it's his, it's his production company. Oh, so okay, he's, that's the yeah. two of them. All right, yeah. word, word. Uh, Evan Goldberg. Yes, and, yeah, that was the one. Yeah. Uh, so Sandberg is. It looks like he's going to be the actual showrunner here, um, and then Tomlin, who is one of the writers on Batman, will be writing this thing. The new Batman film. So it seems like it has a really good pedigree. Yeah. That's a solid group. Yeah. And uh, let me just give you let me just give you guys like the the, the the synopsis or whatever of Fear Agent. Interstellar invaders, time travel, clones of clones of clones, and lots of whiskey. Whether he's battling the scourge of space, going back in time to stop the alien invasion that changed Earth forever, or winning his ex-wife back, there's nothing that Heath Hudson won't do to try to right the wrongs and get his family back. He is, after all, the last fear agent. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah. Just sounds like a story about a bat, like a badass space explorer. <laughs> like, sounds cool to me. I have both volumes of this in wrapping right now that I've had for like years. Never checked them and out. It's, no, it's one of the last Rick Remender things that I have not read. I've read pretty much everything he's ever touched. And so this is one of the last stops for me. And I, I really actually uh, am inspired by this to want to go back and check that out. So Do you, Are they doing more Deadly Class? I know that didn't like super hit. No, it's canceled. Okay. Okay. Oh, this is yeah. cool. This sounds, this sounds like a good like a good uh a good team to to like realize this well. And like Amazon I think is probably a good place for it. Like ever since they had that hit with the boys, it seems like they're really like trying to double down on the original programming and that show looked great, you know, and it had it had a totally solid budget for what it needed to do. Um and I thought the effects in general were like really solid. So well, yeah, sounds good. And Seth Rollins or Seth Rollins. Seth Rogen. <laughs> Seth, Seth Rollins, the wrestler. Uh, Seth Rogan's production company actually was involved heavily with the boys. They were the guys. Oh. They were the ones who really brought that to life. They so. also did Preacher over at AMC, which was really, similarly, yeah, that's right, dude. That's yeah. the thing is, like, I remember when huh. the uh, when the Invincible news came out that they were like doing the movie and everything, and like there was like a lot of kind of like trepidation about that from some people who weren't aware of that. They've had a lot of really successful. Like this kind of comic adaptation, yeah, you know? yeah. Um, so yeah, I I feel like having them attached, like, not to like oversell it, but like I feel like that really is like a big bump for it. it's like, oh, it's probably going to be good then, you know, it's probably going to be true to the source material and will execute well because you know they're on a, they're on a hot streak right now with that shit. Yeah, sure. 
this is I'm not gonna belabor it, but this is so exciting just for me specifically because like I I you know if you listen to our creator of the decade uh, or our year end review and we did the you know end of decade review, I said that Rick Remender was my favorite creator of the tens, and so to see him finally getting the recognition, having this kind of opportunity to produce shows and potentially movies through with Sony in a partnership. Uh, he has some things that I really hope that the world does get to see. Black Science, Low. There's just so many things. Tokyo Ghost. So yeah. hopefully this does pay dividends. Black Science would be a really cool movie. Black Science is like take, if you take the Fantastic Four and you just flip them. Uh, it's real dark and heavy. But uh, I, I really love it. So. I just, I you know, yeah, he's got a lot of great properties. And, like, I, you know, want to see him make some of that Kirkman money. <laughs> like, let's do it, bro. <laughs> you got this. <laughs> so, uh, speaking of Amazon and the boys, we now know that there will be a boys sequel. So, obviously, the boys over at Amazon Prime did tremendous business for, uh, for Amazon. And... Well, it sold a lot of comics, too. Yeah. Oh. Uh, it sold a ton of comics. The boys saw a revitalization in sales. Uh, and so, of course, there's a clamoring for more. Uh, and Garth Ennis is coming back to tell a new tale set in the boys' uh, world, which uh, wrapped up in 2012 with The Boys 72. Uh, we're getting The Boys' Dear Becky. Uh, so that's going to be the new series. It's, uh, it picks up 12 years after the series ended. And uh, Becky is actually... Um, uh, shoot. Uh, Becky Butcher. That's what I meant. Uh, she, so Billy is the main character of The Boys. For those of you who haven't checked it out. And Becky is his wife who died. And that's kind of why he's, you know, doing what he's doing. He's on this mad tear to... He doesn't like superheroes. And he's on this mad tear to get rid of him. And so this is going to dive into what sort of happened with her. Uh, so Garth Ennis had this to say. Originally, I never intended to do more with the boys at all. But for obvious reasons, I found myself thinking about the story and characters again over the past couple of years. There was one aspect of the original story and one character in particular that I never felt got a fair shake. Becky Butcher, whose demise motivates her husband Billy to do the terrible things he does, but who only actually appears in two issues of the original book. I liked writing Becky very much, almost as much as Butcher himself, and I wanted to look in greater detail at how her relatively brief appearance casts such a long shadow. So, I don't think anyone here has read The Boys, right? No, I've only seen the show. Yeah, I feel like The Boys is something that I really want to check out because the show was so good, I thought. And did such a good job of introducing this world. And now I'm going, man, There's this This is all in the comics and I never checked it out. It feels crazy that I've never given this an opportunity. Yeah. It's one of those b books like I – um one of my, my closest friends who's uh, like a, a really avid comics reader, she gave me the entire run because she like buys so many books that she's the kind of person like when she finishes something, she's like, you take it now and read it. So I have like I think the almost the entire run in like you know fl like uh, floppy volumes, and I've never touched it because it's just like so much you know like it's it's a huge it's like it's the same reason I can't get any of you guys to try it Invincible. It's like if I like it, there's 
a million issues I got to read now, you know? And, like, that's a good problem to have, but, like, it feels so much more daunting than jumping on something that's, like, you know, a year into publication or something like that. Absolutely. Yeah. And, I think that's and, the only reason I never took the plunge with it. I've always been interested in it. And and Garth Ennis is just, like, excellent as a, a writer. Yeah, yeah, and absolutely. And, uh, I didn't know this, but actually Derek Robertson is the artist, and, and he he did a bunch of stuff. He did uh, Transmetropolitan, which I loved. And oh. that, that art is super, super good. Um, so uh, definitely it has interested me even more to, to try to jump in as well. It's funny. Literally last night, I, I was out drinking with a few friends, and one of the guys was like, you got to go read Transmetropolitan. Oh. It's oh. so funny that they're like, yeah. Huh. <laughs> but yeah, um, this is cool. Like, good for good for Ennis. Like I'm it's it's sick that like so many years after he rapped on the boys, it's like hitting again and all of a sudden it's like, you know, it's having a moment that, you know, it could have easily never had. It also reflects how, you know, any kind of exposure or something in another form of media could uh like lead to comic selling. Yep. I mean I unfortunately I think that's the easiest way for comics to sell. It is. It is the easiest way. It doesn't always happen like this, and right. that's yeah. one of the things that makes this so cool. Is that more than like even probably Marvel comics? Like you just don't hear about sales spiking the way they did for the boys. Like it really blew up, and this is the power of actually, you know, saying, "Hey, this is a comic book too." You know, like a lot of times. They don't, they don't say that. And I feel like, you know, we talked about this with Image. Like, it doesn't come up. You know, Image does is, image is not really uh, position themselves to make those dollars when these movies come out or these television shows or whatever. And here's a, a case where, you know, The Boys was promoted as a comic book brought to life and it really paid off for everyone involved. And you, you love to see it. I think it also has the benefit of a few things where, like, obviously, uh, I think it's also the power of it being, like, a creator-owned or, a, like, a creator-focused book where it's, like, The Boys is something that if you watch the show and you were interested in it, you can go buy a clear number of volumes and there's a beginning and an end. And I think that's something that really contributes to a spike in sales, whereas, like, with Marvel stuff, there's so little, like, in common between the movies and the books like when you get right down to it that like i think that's the big reason you don't see that one for one where with the boys like you can literally go look at the source like that's what happened with the walking dead right like walking dead yeah. always sold fine and then when it became a cultural phenomenon it became one of the best-selling books every month because it was like oh well i can follow this it's one thing it's a straight line it's not this thing you have to like go figure out or find a reading list or find recommendations or, or something like that you know and i, I think that's really what works so well for these kinds of books when they get adapted is that if it really hits, like all of a sudden, you know, the book is going to become a bestseller. Yeah. It's so rare, man. Like this is, yeah. un it's unprecedented. It's lightning in a bottle. It's like the only, one of the only other examples I can think of is like Scott Pilgrim, you know, where it was like, sure. yeah, that was yep. a thing. And then the movie hit and then the book hit and it became a cult classic. And it, but like how many of those, there are those where compared to, you know, like something like Deadly Class, where it just didn't really connect. Yeah. Well, again, uh, hats off to the boys. So, Animorphs. How many of us on this podcast have a relationship <laughs> with the Animorphs? Yep. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> Dude. Love, yeah, love their middle thought, stages. 
<laughs> like my entire relationship to animorphs could be summed up with that uh it was like i think it was like a, a tumblr like a twitter screenshot that went viral where it was like i only ever saw them at like scholastic book fairs and was like oh these covers are kind of cool never read them and then heard people like give synopsises of the plot and how weirdly like dark and violent it is yeah like i feel like i really missed out on animorphs you did. <laughs> like, yeah, you they did. sound sick. <laughs> it's really cool. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, it's just awesome. Yeah. That's, that's all. That's it. It's that's just, all. Yeah, we'll yeah, be right that's along. That's the news. We can move on. <laughs> Animorphs uh, no, is lit. The, next topic. <laughs> the news is that uh, we're getting Animorphs comics now. We're going to be getting a, 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 an actual graphic novel um, for the Animorphs. And it's coming from Scholastic Graphics, uh, and it's going to be it's going to be done by uh, K A Apple. No, they're the original creators. The, yeah, it's going to yeah, be yeah. done by Chris Grine. Chris Grine is going to be doing everything on this book. He's going to write it. He's going to do the colors, uh, the the inks, everything on this title. Yeah, um, there is actually a little bit of. Uh, some preview pages that that were provided through uh, AV Club, and I think the book looks really good. Can't speak to the story obviously because you know you're only getting four pages, but uh, I think this is awesome. And I want to read a little bit of what uh, Grind had to say before you guys dive in. It's a huge relief to finally be able to share what I've been working on over the last year. I love this series, and I can't wait to share it with the fans who have been wanting this to happen for so long. Having never adapted a book into a graphic novel before, let alone a series so deeply ingrained in pop culture, it was both super exciting and panic-inducing at times. (laughs) Let's do it. So, yeah. I'm hyped. I, I do have a question, though. And it might seem like it's a little out of left field. Some might say it's random. Uh, oh, anyway. Oh, okay. Oh, 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 okay. So you're, you're saying... <laughs> so you're saying that it might be a random question of the week. That's right. Great job, Caught though. me off guard there. Caught everybody off guard. <laughs> okay. Well done. Uh, you could take this in one of two directions. My question is, if you were an animorph, or if your favorite character was an animorph, what animal would they transform into? Let's keep it to ourselves. Okay. Uh, anyone have any thoughts? I always wanted to be a monkey. No, I'd be uh, I'd be the, the macaque. I could see that. You got macaque energy. I don't think it's a sentence anyone's ever wow. said. Oh, yeah, you got macaque <laughs> great, energy. Great big macaque energy. <laughs> BME. <laughs> no. You got big <laughs> macaque energy. I don't think anyone's ever said that. Uh, yeah, because I'm trying to think, like, not just an animal I like, like an animal that I am, that would, like, match my personality or whatever. I think I'd just be, like, a lazy dog. <laughs> <laughs> not even a dog a lazy dog i, I like the yeah. idea that we're like a team of animorphs and like kale just turns into a dog to nap like he doesn't really use his powers to like do anything useful I, yeah i just want to <laughs> lay in the sun and chill be like Man, a turtle you know? like, sucks. it's like i could go inside my shell and know when i don't want to talk to you guys anymore 
That's true. That's not bad. Kale's just laying in a sunbeam all the time. No, I was saying that for Kale. That might be better. Not that I'm eternal. Um, I don't know. I was thinking like maybe a wolf. I like I like canines and like I'm lo- I'm loud. So like the howl, you know, like I feel like that would work. Kangaroo. Oh, kangaroo's really good. You could put Marco in your pouch. And like you, when you're like we're in like a fight, and then out of nowhere, Marco just jumps out of the pouch and attacks them. <laughs> <laughs> you, you weren't prepared for my monkey style. <laughs> Animorph mech, but with actual flesh animals. I'm in business, baby. Uh, for me, I would want to be an owl. Okay, huh? Sean would Tobias it though. Well, he gets. Is that the guy who gets stuck? <laughs> Yep. Oh, man. He's like Sean becomes stuck as an Bummer. owl. Wait, what kind of okay. owl? What kind of owl, Sean? Dude, you think I know what kind of owls there are? <laughs> How deep do you think my owl knowledge yeah. is? <laughs> Not obsessed. I just like owls. <laughs> I've never even seen an owl in person. You got, you got your horse girls. You got your dolphin girls. You got your owl, Sean. Yeah. Oh my god. Instead of the Animorphs, can we call our team the Owl Boys? <laughs> nah. Um, no, nah, we can't. Don't no. hoot and holler over this one, but uh, <laughs> I think uh, I think it'd be a pika, which is like a little rodent that Pikachu's based on, and they just yell a lot and are really annoying. Mm. God, we suck ass, dude. <laughs> I, I was thinking Phil was going to be like a tiger. That's my like, favorite animal, but you got to be true yeah. to yourself, baby. Okay. Yeah, this this question wasn't predicated on, oh yeah, you're going to go fight the aliens or whatever. It's just, what animal did you want to be? <laughs> Alright, but damn, I thought we'd have some utility. This no, book Sean, is called... Sean, me and you can team up like uh, like the cannonball technique. Yo, you, you just pick yeah. me up and I, I land wherever I need to. I'm with I that. Like, I feel like the fact that I'm a wolf and Sean's an owl, it's like, we're very, very prepared for nighttime missions. I don't know how yeah. we're going to do during the day. Well, it's a, it's an invasion. I gather rocks during the day to build a fortress. <laughs> and listen, you guys go have fun. I'm going to take a nap in the sunbeam. <laughs> All right, well, Phil, you can go kick um, rocks. You're definitely like a basset hound. And I'm going to move on. Yeah, you can go kick rocks and I'm going to move on. You can go kick some rocks. Because we're going to talk about Captain Marvel. So Captain Marvel, obviously. Shazam! Oh. <laughs> worth it stupid ass joke you've been doing for like eight months never gets old i get a pain right here in my chest <laughs> that's the ulcer just a minor heart attack every time someone does it's the that. lightning coming down and yeah yeah the lightning in my apartment uh so captain marvel one was obviously a massive success but captain marvel 2 is going to have to reboot because it's not going to have the writers or directors from the original film oh damn uh anna Bowden and ryan fleck are not going to be in the sequel uh the hollywood reporter doesn't say exactly why but i'm pretty confident it's because of the next item which says that uh they want Marvel Studios wants to find a female director. Now, obviously, Anna Bowden is a woman, and she did co-direct the movie. But I think they want a, a singular uh, female voice for the sequel. Um, Megan McDonald, who is the story editor editor for WandaVision, is negotiating right now to script the sequel. 
Uh, it's going to take place in current times, which is awesome. And the reason why Megan McDonald makes sense to jump over from story editing on WandaVision to writing this film, part of the reason is because Monica Rambeau will be in uh, WandaVision and she will be the grown-up version. For those of you who maybe didn't see Captain Marvel or don't recall, there's a young girl in the, in the uh, movie who's the friend or the daughter of uh, Captain Marvel's best friend. That young girl is Monica Rambeau who will be grown up in this uh, new movie, but also in WandaVision. So that's that. Uh, so do you guys think that maybe there was some trouble here or do you feel like Marvel's just going in a different direction? Mm, I guess, I guess, I, I mean, uh, and, and maybe, you know, this isn't something that can be answered, but can, uh, who is the, the director, Anna Bo- Bowden, Bolin, Bowden, Bowden. Can are is she, are she and Ryan Fleck a, a team or did they given just... given that they co-wrote and co-directed? Uh, I mean that doesn't mean that they're that they're definitely a team, but it gives me that vibe. But continue with the premise regardless. Well, I just it it doesn't make a ton of sense on its face as to why like she couldn't do it, right? And so uh, what what it also says, the Hollywood Reporter does say that these two... Okay, so this actually does answer your question. These two are being looked at for other projects within the Marvel TV space, but they're they're not going to be on Captain Marvel 2. So I was asking you guys what you think might be going on here, but because of that, I actually feel like uh, they really just didn't want them on the project. Yeah, I mean... It could be that, or it could be that they didn't necessarily want to do the project. Like, there's always because I remember there was that kind of conversation with um, with Taika right around Thor, where it was like, oh, is he going to come back and do another one after Ragnarok? And he ended up deciding he wanted to, but I don't think that that's really how they operate, you know? Because like you look at like any of the um, trilogies of like solo hero films that we've had, not many of them have been shepherded by like the same directors for throughout you know right like john favreau did iron man one and he didn't come back after that right Right. and it's just the russos i think that like did cap two and three and then you know did both avengers in a row like i don't think there's a real heavy precedent there for that so i wonder if Maybe they didn't have a vision for the next movie or they didn't jive with the vision that they had for the sequel and they wanted to do something else. And they were just kind of like, hey, you know, like we like working with you guys and they want to keep that relationship going. But they were kind of doing that with uh, Taika as well, where he was like being eyed for other properties. And is he going to do Thor? Are they going to put him on something else? It could be that or it could be to Sean's point that they maybe had another director in mind that they wanted to work with that they felt. You know, that Feige felt like jived with his vision for where it's got to go more. Yeah. Could be a lot of things. Yeah. I, I appreciate what you're putting down, but there's a little bit of a skew in uh, what you're presenting as evidence simply because the directors weren't coming back because the experience working with Marvel sucked because mm, yeah. of Ike Perlmutter and the powers that be at the time. But if you look at when things shifted, that's when you start to see directors coming back for multiple projects even prior to that joss whedon did do the first two avengers but if you discount that you still have 
Uh, the Russos, like you said, that both that that wanted to come back and do multiple projects. Uh, you have Chadwick, not not Chadwick Boseman, uh, uh, Ryan uh, Coogler, who's working on both Black Panthers. You have the director of Spider Man: Far From Home and Homecoming, who worked on both of those. So now they're more directors want to come back because working with Marvel apparently is pleasant and this movie was definitely made in the era of pleasant Marvel and is actually one of the reasons why things had to change because they wanted to make this movie so badly so I I, I, I don't know what the reasoning might be but I feel like the movie was, was well received it made a lot of money why wouldn't you want to come back Yeah, but we don't know maybe they turned in a draft that they didn't like or something like that, if if because they're they were writing directing team, like I don't know. I guess I guess it must just be like a vision not lining up thing, but still feeling like <clears throat> they have a good enough relationship, right? Because obviously the well isn't poisoned if they're looking at doing something on TV now, right? Yeah, absolutely. So as a result of this of everything we just discussed, a conversation started on the internet about making. Captain Marvel Black, and not taking you know Captain Marvel the the, the you know the Ca- Carol Danvers and making her black, but letting Monica Rambeau take over the mantle and have her be Captain Marvel, which is not crazy because that's something that does happen in the books. Uh, so that conversation started and led to a petition calling for Brie Larson to uh, be fired from the role of Captain Marvel and replaced with. Monica Rambeau in the role. And of course, a black woman playing the character. That's nuts. Obviously, right? 30,000 signatures. Damn. <laughs> that makes me so tired. <laughs> That's fucking wild. It's, it's a weird... It's so weird to me. Because, like... I, I feel like there is a very, like, kind of anti-Brie Larson sentiment among a lot of people, but I definitely thought that was more like a, you know, like, the boys club kind of attitude, right? Um, but this is obviously, like, not that, you know? Um, so I, it's just, like, she's only been in one and a tenth movies, and we're already going to replace her? Like, I don't know. That seems really weird to me. Like... And if they wanted to do that at some point in the future, <clears throat> totally. Like, that makes sense, you know? Um, I'm sure... I, I won't say I'm sure. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw uh, a War Machine as Iron Man movie come at some point in the future. Like, cool. Like, Mantle's pass. No big deal. Um, but she's, like, been around for so little time and has, like, been a presence in the universe for so little time. The idea that they would like fire her and recast somebody else now is just like nuts. Yeah. I, and I would much rather, uh, Kamala Khan come on board or something. Like I, I very much enjoy that character. I have no familiarity with, uh, a would be replacement for, uh, Cal Danvers otherwise. So, I mean, that'd be my vote if anything, but I mean, but if not, she's already getting a show, right? Yeah. Miss Marvel. Yeah, yeah, oh, that's right. Got, yeah, yeah, she's that's got right. Coming to, yeah. Uh, to Disney Plus. Yeah, see, I, that I feel like would be a much more natural progression where she like you know goes off into space or whatever for X number of years again, and then Kamala comes and swoops in. Like that'd be dope, right? But uh, outright replacing her, 
Uh, I think one, it's funny that people would want this because then the moment that they do, and let's say they did do this, all the fanboys would be like, "Yo, what the fuck happened?" <laughs> yeah, they they, they go right, turn. Yeah, really. So, they already um, hate Captain Marvel, so yeah. So like, chill out, just let it happen. Uh, we just want somebody that'll smile. Come on, yo, this this. Come on, hey, smile. This Brie Larson hate train is uh, a chugging, and it's not cool. I don't get it. Like, she's a good actress. I don't know. Like, I get like if your if your politics with her don't line up or whatever, then whatever. But oh, does she have ideas on on, on that? Yeah, I mean, she's like lefty, you know. Like, she's a feminist, oh. and that pisses people off. Which, of course, you know. Um, but this is obviously not motivated by that. Sounds like grumpy people. Yeah, for sure. I'd be willing to bet it is. <laughs> I decided to go check out the this petition on the petitionsite.com. Did you sign it? That's what it's called? Petitionsite.com. Yeah, very legit. Uh, and I'm not on this. This is the one run. this is the one that the president will get to see, right? Yes, of oh, course. cool, good. Uh, yeah, that's why I need good. Wayne in on my Marvel movies right now. <laughs> uh, I'm not on the website because I want to sign the petition, of course. Uh, but you did. But I, I Listen. Uh, I came here because I wanted to see what the comments were like. And so we've got a comment from Name Not Displayed from India who says, Brie Larson should respect the LGBT community and step down from the role. Yes, because that's what they're clamoring for. Uh, What? Name Not Displayed. From North Carolina says she acts stuck up with a bad attitude. It's made worse by her toxic feminism feminism that should never represent Marvel. Shame on you, Disney. (laughs) I'm sure Disney read this and is getting right on your request. Brandy C. from Tennessee said, As a woman, Brie Larson is the least person I want to see or play someone (laughs) in the near or distant future. She is not a good actor. And was pointless in Endgame. Please get rid of her. Marvel needs to listen to its fans or they will lose them. Dude, imagine wow. being the least person. <laughs> the least person. <laughs> As a woman, guys, I gotta say, Brie Larson just didn't she just didn't do I, it. How much do you want to bet that that is a man? Because I don't feel like women start sentences like that. Like, as a woman, I just want to say I hate Brie Larson. <laughs> like, what? The, okay. the the last one I want to read was, was the one that... There are a lot of really crazy ones, but this one I just thought was funny because it's irrelevant. Um, by Leela V in India. Even though there is female representation, there is none of color, especially from India. There is no Indian superhero for that matter, even though we Indians are one-sixth of the population. Now, gotcha. But why would that motivate you to sign a petition (laughs) about getting rid of Brie Larson to make her black? That doesn't... (laughs) How does that help you? I'm so confused by this entire story. Yeah. What? what, I don't know. So there's the answer. (laughs) It's because Brie Larson's uh, a target. This is, like, that's, this is literally just, that's oh, it. there's an angle that we can use to make this socially woke. Whoop. I'm on this that's, right now, this and the, there's one from a guy people. named Marco C. And it says, <laughs> yeah. 
Let me read it. It says, I hate white women. Feminism's bad. <laughs> Why not make Captain Marvel a swamp thing? Hey, two out of three of those are true. <laughs> not even gonna ask. Comment sections are out of control these days. I don't want to live on this planet anymore. <laughs> Still out of the three of those are true. I took a page out of your, your book, Phil. Just roll in the mud. <laughs> Why not make her a swamp? Thing? Why not? All right. Well, <laughs> Marco's just tossing back wide now, like the king he is. Look at him. We stand a true king here on the Comics Pals, and Marco is a true king. The young king. My damn kangaroo son. <laughs> Marco C. <laughs> Alright, let's let's get into our reviews here. Marauders number six. Uh, let's jump right into it. I actually felt like both of the issues that we got to read today felt jam-packed. Uh, Marauders got a lot done, I thought, pretty quickly. Uh, you know, in, in a in a normal amount of issue or pages, it, it did get a lot done. Uh, this is the original creative team of Jerry Duggan, Matteo Lali, and Maria Mario Del Penelo, uh, and of course Corey Pettit on letters. Um, yeah, just a lot happening. We've got a battle between the Marauders and you know hate monger and racists and you know. Uh, just, just just a lot to this issue. Uh, what would you guys make of it? I like this issue. Um, I think you and I were pretty similarly into the last one, and it felt like we were kind of finally getting somewhere, you know? And, like, the action in this issue feels uh, like it has stakes and that, like, what's going on is significant, you know? And I think that's kind of been the problem with this book is struggling to – not necessarily know what it's about, but for it to get to where it wanted to be, to tell the story that it's supposed to be about. And, you know, this issue ends on another cliffhanger and an even more serious one than the last one because we've done so much work talking about, like, what's going on with Kate and, you know, her whole situation, and now we're going to really see what that means and what that looks like. At least one way or the other, right? Um so yeah, I, I think in general this one was strong. The action was pretty good. I thought the art was was solid, and uh, th- this is the issue I've been wanting from Marauders for a bit. I think. Hmm. Yeah, that's uh, that's my overall feeling too. Is uh, it was cool to shut this book and finally care about it. Yeah, and be like, can't wait for the next one. Yeah, genuinely absolutely. interested in what happens next. <laughs> Damn, I did not like this one. Speak on it. You were down on the last one too. Uh, yes, and and I think is for similar reasons. You just kind of had a continuation of what I felt was just non uh, non important action. Like, uh, I I especially didn't like the art. Um, really? Yeah, it was something in the coloring. I think was just pretty simplistic compared to some of the some of the previous issues. And then also uh, the line art, and not to say this as like any uh, pejoratively, but it felt like like a YA book. Like it was just very simplistic. The faces were very soft. The eyes were super just round. Um, I don't know. It, it it didn't 
it didn't uh, appeal to me uh, and compared to some of the other like sharper lines that we've seen in the past. And then the story, I just, I didn't, I didn't care. And nothing about this felt like it was high risk necessarily. Uh, even, even at the end, because uh, even though it will, you know, Kate falls in the water and we don't know if she's going to live or die. It's also not explained necessarily where that she's going to live or die. Like if we had that, that knowledge, I've, then it, it would feel like, um, we could we could say that oh shit there's implications but as of right now this just feels like eh this is just like to tense us up but you know some we're gonna pull something out of the out of our ass and fix it it's not there's there's nothing there like necessarily because it, it it's only been explained that oh you can't pass through this so we can only assume that you won't be brought back to life which is what we're all saying which is what the book is saying. But there's not a definitive answer on yes or no to have made this impactful for me. Interesting. Um, yeah, I'm so surprised by that specific take just because I feel like it's pretty clear what we saw at the end here. And like my I think there's a lot of interesting implications there because I, I mean, like if they if, you know, it, the next issue starts with somebody pulling her out of the water, then OK, cool. Then nothing really mattered. Um and like point taken, but I definitely got the impression that like she's dead. No, right, and and that's the impression and, we're supposed to get. But I'm saying, right. but I'm saying because you think we're gonna get we're gonna get the rug pulled out from under us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I'm like, all right, that's fine. Uh, but what what really I didn't like was the reveal that Sebastian Shaw was behind all this because like the 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 post hox pox is supposed to be where we've moved past this. We're not going back to the same shit that we've been doing. We're not here conniving as much as we are characters that connive. We, we're, we're doing this for other reasons, for better reasons. And, uh, you know, oh, Sebastian Shaw is here to make, do it, to make a buck and put in his own people. Like, yeah, that makes sense for his character, but we've moved on. These characters are supposed to have grown. And, and yeah, this, but I don't think I don't think that it's fair to say that like every single character has to be that way. Because like you look at like a, a character like Apocalypse and like, he does seem to genuinely be growing and changing, but Sebastian, like, is, uh, like, he's he's a dude motivated by power and money. He's a That's capitalist he first, a mutant second. Yeah, baby. right, and I think the thing is, that, like, he's still in the system, he's still there, he's still pushing forward for this future with them, he just wants to have a bigger piece of the pie and have more control, because that's who he is as a character. You know, like, I don't think it, I don't, and you're not wrong to feel that way. I guess I'm just saying I don't agree with, A, that this was a reveal. I feel like it's been very clear that he's been doing this um, since the introduction of his son. Uh, he said as much. So, like, we knew that this was his plan, long game, was to get rid of Kate and try to consolidate power so that Emma can't marginalize him anymore. So, like... I. I think this reveal would have been a lot stronger had we not had that third issue or whatever that Sebastian Shaw issue was. Sure. Like, if that one came right after this one and made us sweat the Cape Pride death a little bit, that would have, that would have worked. I think, I think there's, there's a few things at play. So, I think what Pete is saying, that this isn't meant to be a reveal, is accurate. I don't think that, I don't think you're supposed to be surprised yeah. by what Shaw's doing, because he's been pretty transparent. And I think Shaw probably more than any character that has joined the revolution 
would only really do that for personal gain. He doesn't give a shit about this kind of thing. He's not into it. You know, you look at what he did with the Hellfire Club. Like, he's a mutant, but that was not mutant forward. No. That was was very much not. And I think you, you know, you brought up Apocalypse. Apocalypse has a a, a worldview. I mean, the way that that it was broken down in Hoxpox as to why he would align himself with this made perfect sense. When you when you consider what apocalypse is typically about, um, so I get why he's down. Shaw being lockstep in agreement with everything that they're doing and not trying to manipulate it would actually be weirder than yes. Yeah. I feel like that would not be that would be out of character. And like you can argue that like some of the characters have grown in a way that like has made their character change, but. I don't think it makes sense that all of a sudden every mutant is just on the same page, you know? And and, and definitely not that it's necessary that they have to be on the same page, but to, to your point where him being a capitalist, he doesn't seem to see the, the potential of, like, sure, continuing to, to consolidate the power within his sector, um, but, like, to continue with human dealings when the potential for the continued expansion of whatever else they're doing from a capitalist and economic perspective, like, as a whole, is not more perspective from a capitalist perspective would be something that you could you could do and and to your point sean of it being like it being teased out then like why reveal like like why like why make it like why why focus on it and why why sit on this and explain oh you know this was my my thing and this was my thing if it's been transparent why sit on that well, that i i agree with uh in the sense that i thought that that particular sequence was re- really bad uh, I, I didn't love the part in this book where he's kind of breaking down how we got to this point <laughs> because it was not. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Sorry, we we already we already know you're bad. We already know you had a plan behind the scenes. The particulars were irrelevant. None of it made me think, oh, what a genius, or anything like that. You know, I don't really it didn't, it didn't work for me. Um, but uh, you know, okay, sure. So you didn't you didn't love that part. That's fine. Uh, we did get Pyro getting stabbed in the chest here, which, yeah, which gave the villainous yellow jacket uh, a way in um, to actually get inside of Pyro's body, which, of course, is now going to allow him presumably access to Krakoa. Apparently, everyone can figure out a way to get into Krakoa. Uh, His face tattoo Although I actually sucks. think yeah, it does. I actually think that was pretty cool. I like. Yeah, I, like I think this that's play. the most clever way they've done that. Like, yeah. I, I, I definitely agree with you. Where I, when, when I saw that originally, I was kind of like, like this again. Like, really, like there have been so many people who have already infiltrated Krakoa, and it's like existed for a month. Like, <laughs> I, I feel like it should be harder than that. But this, I remember, like, I, I felt like this was cool because, like. I feel like all the other versions have just been, uh, oh, some cats figured out a way to mess with the gates and they're here or they pulled some like backdoor weird shit. This is like very like inside, like we planned this out a long time and it's very, very clever. Like how would you ever even know, you know? Um, So that kind of thing, that worked for me for sure. And I'm, I'm interested to see what the implications of that are. I did have a question about it because technically Yellow Jacket's not a mutant, so he wouldn't be able to pass through the gate anyway, right? Even if he's inside of somebody. Well, I mean that's that's a question that remains to be answered. But we've seen people infiltrate Krakoa by having 
the well in Fallen Angels, not I'm sorry, not Fallen Angels in X Force, uh, they used Domino's DNA and whatnot to trick the system of Krakoa into believing that they were mutants. And so if that was possible, then I feel like you could probably get into Krakoa inside the body of a mutant. Where does she get beat um, is what I always say. That's um, Do what? Oh, oh yeah. That's yeah. how Pyro opens <laughs> up the issue. Yeah. Uh yeah, I, I really like the, the early sequence as well. This book has been action-packed very much, uh, so it was cool to see that kind of continued. I get a little frustrated, though, when I see the X-Men not immediately just, you know, beating the piss out of people like this. <laughs> um, just because Storm is so overpowered, you know? Um, it's just like, come on, Donald Pierce. Uh I like Bishop though, just just blowing them away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was fantastic. When Bishop got blasted, I forgot what his power set was, and I was like, "No!" But then he just shits on them. And I was like, "Yes!" I was like, "That was fantastic." <laughs> I had the same thought. I was like, "You know what? I don't think I know what Bishop's powers are." <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I definitely don't. What is that? <laughs> oh, he can uh, take in energy and redirect it. Oh. So you hit him with an energy blast, and he'll just he can just, just right back light up. you the fuck up. Apparently, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I thought that was great, and I, I did. I loved how I loved how like when they commandeer the ship, Kenny's just like, "I'm we're throwing you all in the water, so you can jump right now, or I'm tossing your ass off this boat." Yeah, that's cool. Um, it's just funny. <laughs> talk about the emotional stakes of the issue. The part of the issue I felt the most upset about was Lockheed being thrown overboard. Yup, and I'm still worried about it. Yeah, I was like, no, not him. The little like, they guy? definitely don't have his DNA. Like, this is a problem. <laughs> well, that's how you know. That's how you know Shaw's serious. Do they? Yeah, have that was DNA. I love no. that Kitty literally was just like, "Look, I'll just give it to you. Like, pull him out of the damn water." Yep. Yeah, I mean, their bond has been, you know, decades long kept. Uh, yeah, for sure. I wanted to go back to what Marco was talking about regarding Kitty and, you know, obviously here we're led to believe that she's dead and whatnot. I actually, I I thought that was pretty well done just because there is that lingering question. When you think about the implications, right? So Shaw's gamble is that Kitty will stay dead. He doesn't know that. And neither do we. Neither does Kitty. And so it's I, I feel like even though I thought it was well done, like the execution of it and whatnot, and it forces this question now to be answered one way or the other, which the book needed to do. Uh, why would the X-Men leave her alone ever? And why does Shaw why is Shaw risking it all on the premise that she'll stay dead? I get that he's a gambler, I get that he's a capitalist, I understand all that. But if he's wrong about this, he, everything falls apart for him. So why did the X-Men leave, him, leave her alone? Why does he believe so fully that this will work? I think with them leaving her alone, it definitely just feels like it, it feels careless in a way that I can understand because like Kit, Kate is tough 
she's formidable. And I totally get her being like, you guys don't need to babysit me. Like, I'm fine. I'm going to be sailing for like two days and it's it's going to be whatever. You know, it's something that like she's done before. And like in a pre-mutants or resurrectable world, nobody would have thought twice about her going off and doing something like that. You know, so like I can understand it, but it feels kind of reminiscent of the conversation we had um, with New Mutants where it's kind of like, why did Cyclops just like you know, let, um, who was it? Cannonball? That's who they were going to find. Magic. Yeah. Uh, like, just let them peace. uh, It was, it was, uh, God, what is his name? It's not magic. Oh, uh, Doug, Doug Doug, Jones. Doug Doug, Ramsey. uh, Right? Ramsey. Okay. We got there eventually. The guy, the guy that can, the guy that can talk to Krakoa. Right. Cypher? Yeah. Yes. Um, so like, it's, it's, it feels like a human mistake to make, but it also feels kind of like you guys should know better than this. Like, did well, everyone and, and need what to makes go off that, on their own without her? Like, leave someone there. What makes that worse to me is that I think it was issue five. They started the this set of issues with Bobby being called out by whoever that blonde yeah. guy was. You know, it specifically stated, oh, you're worried that if Kitty dies, she's not going to come back. But here in issue six, he's like, oh, I got to go bullshit on Drag Race this week. Uh, I guess I'm going to leave. Yeah. And it's like, that's that's not what a grown-up would do. (laughs) It's also in the context of Professor X having died, right? So I'm not reading this as an isolated situation. I'm reading this... In the, with the full knowledge of everything, it's like Professor X died due to ultimately carelessness, ultimately cockiness, and so don't you tighten up after that, you know? And if she, and if you think she can't be resurrected, wouldn't this be the same as any other? If she's that vulnerable, and she, and you know that she's a target because they keep. I feel like every episode or issue starts with the 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 marauder ship getting invaded or something like that you know don't you go wait there's no chance you're going to be by yourself don't you get extra cautious i don't know yeah I, and again like i can understand if it's like well bob bobby's busy so he won't go okay fine storm will go they'll send the message back some other way or like she could go through and be like hey i need to relay this message i'm going to head back to the ship now like there's so many ways they could have handled it where it's not her off on her own, but I also feel like the implication there is kind of like, you know, Kitty's kind of like, pun not intended, she's kind of prideful, and like, she's like, I got this, it's fine, don't worry about it, and they don't think twice about it. Yeah, it, 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 it's it's all there, it just doesn't, it just doesn't, uh, it's it's a little stupid in the context of Professor X being dead, especially. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I wanted to talk about the art, Marco made mention of the fact that he wasn't in love with the colors, uh, and certain aspects of the the line work, and I actually agree with you. Uh, Mateo's work was criticized when this book first started, and um, I think that in you know in a lot of ways it was justified. Uh, and some of the colors have been a problem in this series. You know, huh? Uh, sorry, this this isn't just the original team. This is uh, Mateo Lolly and Mario Del. Uh, Panino, Panino? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I I mentioned that on, at the top. You did, yes, but uh, it's also Eric Arseniega and Federico Glee on 
color. Right. So there are four different people on the art here. Which is interesting because I don't feel like the book looks like that. Uh, yeah. To me, at least. It looks like the same old thing that we've been getting. And there's never a moment where I was like, oh, hey, that's not consistent. So it feels more like probably a fill-in situation. Someone to just come in and ape the style of the of the main artist on that particular side of things and just make it look consistent to get the job done. Um, but I don't think that they came in and solved any of the problems that this book has had visually. Yep. Uh, I thought that the, the, the paneling's fine. It's, it's very basic in a lot of ways. Um, which it has been for this series, but I just, I don't know, like nothing really stands out. Nothing really like blows me away. Storm does get in like a lightning kick on Donald Pierce, which, you know, I get the point of, but didn't really, didn't seem that cool. I don't know. Just kind of whole hum on the art. I think that's fair. I I don't, I don't think it's like standout, but I I think it is like serviceable. And in general, I, I feel like the, I like the models you know, um, of the characters. And I think it's consistent enough that it doesn't take away from the book, but it's certainly not, it's not like the heights that I think we've seen in some of the other house stuff and like the, the fallout from it even. Cause like I, you think back to like, um, that first issue of Excalibur, right? Like there's like an, like a real standout moment, you know, where, uh, where we see, um, what's her name Betsy like come through and her like new garb and everything like there there are some of these other books have had bigger statements I think than this book has ever had mm. yeah the art for me is on par with the rest of this series yeah it's fine all right so uh that's Marauders six we'll be continuing to follow the book uh although I mean it's it's weird because we started really hot on the, the issue and then kind of turned on it but I, I think like I didn't I didn't dislike it especially just the first read without really critically analyzing I, I enjoyed myself so uh, now let's talk about Guardians of the Galaxy number one uh, this by Al Ewing, Juan Cabal Frederico Blee who was also on uh, Marauders so he's pulling double duty this week uh, this hotly anticipated first issue by Al Ewing uh, Al talked a lot about lessons that he had learned as far as how to deliver a first issue that packs a punch and retains readership. We know comics have an issue with first to second, second to third drop off. And he said that he had learned some tricks of the trade from a lot of the different things that had gone wrong for him. Applied those to Mortal Hulk. They were successful. Applied them here. How do you guys feel about this as a first issue, especially in light of what I just said? Uh, I think you said it really well at the top. Like, this issue is dense. It's really dense. There's a lot going on. And I think I think it – not to its detriment either um, because I think it does a good job of if you're a reader, like probably a lot of people are potentially are going into this book where, like, you've not kept up with what's going on with the Guardians in 616 and it does a pretty good job of – if you're somebody who's at least casually familiar, like I knew that there was that whole thing with Rocket being sick or whatever, and they kind of like sum that up in a way where you're like, okay, I get that this is a thing that they they've been recently going through. They're all older, they're tired, they're like, you know, it it it, it sets up where the characters are at and the stakes of 
why they feel, or at least, you know, um, Peter and Rocket, right, initially here, uh, feel like they need to get involved, even though, you know, maybe they shouldn't. Like, maybe the smart thing to do is to just hang it up. But, you know, like, they they need to do it, and they are also needed to do it. And that's compelling. You know, like, that's a good setup for a, a hero's journey. Um... I really like this issue. I uh, I've been very pessimistic about Guardians of the Galaxy because after the movie came out in 2014, it felt like the team and the characters kind of took a different direction. And don't get me wrong, I like what James Gunn did with the movie, the two movies, a lot. But it was a, it was a pretty drastic direction change from the. Uh, the late 2000s early 2010s uh, Abnett and Lanning book and Al goes in a pretty good length in our interview about it about that kind of thing uh and so a lot of what he had said really filled me with a sense of optimism and so I went into this uh kind of on a high note with with what Al had said and I don't think it let me down at all for one uh it was really refreshing to see Nova and Star-Lord together uh I really like that dynamic from from all the years of those characters together uh kind of mounting to the Thanos imperative um and then the art itself was really interesting there were some crazy pages in this book and like I think of I think of the page with with Marvel Boy Novar which is uh, a Grant Morrison character, and you can definitely feel some some Grant aspects in this book. But you can tell when he lists all his ridiculous yeah. powers. It's like, okay, sure, yeah. And, <laughs> and the way that art is done, to like with the circle showcasing his powers, is it's crazy mm. good. It has it feels like Frank Quitely in that in that page, uh, and I really appreciate it. Oh yeah, yeah. The what was the thing he said that my saliva is a psychedelic? Yeah. Hell yeah, he's, he's a good I was like, kisser. That is, that is the most weirdly specific superpower, and I don't know when that would ever be useful. Uh, always? <laughs> I guess, right? Like, shit. I guess if you wanted to incapacitate someone, you just spit in their fucking mouth or something. <laughs> Gosh. Why is that where you go? Because <laughs> <laughs> I said it wasn't useful, and Marco was like, yeah, it is. And I was like, well, I guess. Just lick them on the forehead. Well, why not? Why not kiss them? Why not? Why spit in their <laughs> mouth? Whoever thinks it's fine. That was so fucking violent. I'm sorry, I don't want to just force my kisses on somebody. Uh, yeah, so let me hock a loogie into their open mouth. How do you have access to someone's mouth being open anyway? Well, like, when you're like fighting, what's, you know? what's this strat? When you're fighting, people just fight with their mouths wide open. No, I'm saying it's like you're going, you're you're going Duke's Dukes, right? You grab their face and just spit right in there then they're tripping balls that's so much worse <laughs> that's vile it's, it is vile I didn't say that it was you know cleanly that's so much worse <laughs> Pete you've really upset me right, here so go, go ahead Marco <laughs> um, yeah I thought it was good It. Uh, I don't know that anything necessarily stuck out um, the art was really good I did like the art um, but a lot of it, I was kind of just like, it, it, it's very, to what Pete said, it's very dense and, and there's a lot that gets referenced from like the past that I'm just like, okay, okay. I just have to, you know, 
read it for what it is because I don't know what the hell a cancer verse is. Oh, or, buddy. You know, like... Oh. Or, like, when Marvel Boy came out, I was like, what the fuck? I'm like, cool, but what is this? It's uh, the shorts, I love right? goofy shorts. It was the shorts. <laughs> it was the shorts. <laughs> um... But I mean, I mean, otherwise it was, yeah, it was good. Like it, it, it definitely sets it up. I, I, I definitely appreciated where they are and where they feel that they are. And they've like, sort of reflected on that. And that was really cool because it did feel like the, that these characters, uh, something we see all the time is like, it, it feels like they've lived these lives. Um, and, and that's definitely felt, um, and it's good to sort of start in that place. And yeah, I mean, otherwise no, I, yeah, I liked it. It was good. So I, I wanted to touch on what Marco said about the art. I think I just don't like Federico Blee's color style because I think he actually pulls down what uh, Juan is, is putting down here. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I, I, f- I feel like Juan is doing a really good job. But then when it gets to the colors, like you look at the family stuff earlier on in the first half of the book, and I just don't think that they look really good. Um, there's like a like a... I don't know. It's this weird hue that it's very the characters like, like an have. Orange yeah. Well, it's yeah, bright, it's like but, a, bright but at the same time, it looks like like they're in a shadow. Like especially if you look at like Drax, like Drax and uh, Rocket, they look like they're covered in shadow, but like nobody really else is. Yeah, it doesn't make sense for for what the scene is. Yeah. Uh, I, I just I'm just not a fan of and uh, you know I don't, it's very stylistic I like the you know the 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 real bright pinks and purples in the background and stuff but I don't know I just don't love the way and because it's a consistent thing he's doing and it doesn't I don't think it works uh, at least not for me you know um, what it kind of feels like to me it's like you know when um <clears throat> you know when you're playing a video game for the first time and it gives you the brightness thing and you're supposed to like set it so that like the darks are a certain kind of dark. But if you put it up a little bit, everything just has that kind of like, like it feels a little washed out. Like it's not, I don't think it looks like overtly bad, but there is kind of like a weird sheen to it at times, you know? And like, I think it's particularly in the lighting and shadows of stuff. Yep. So I I really like the premise though of the book. I like the idea of like, all right, you know we're we're the, we're we're old. We're 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 you know we're a family. We're just trying to live out our lives, um, and then you know Star Lord and Rocket can't quite get to that point. I think that's really cool. Uh, I like the villains. Yeah, crazy. They are. Yeah, yeah. I, I I once when they first were revealed, I was like, oh god, okay, a pantheon. Like we've been here, um, but I like the vibe of them. Uh, I like their power set i like that they weren't pushovers at all like they actually handled business um it's always fun to see especially with characters like the guardians like they have a plan right and the plan's a good plan it makes sense but the villains have a counter strategy that gets laid over top of that and it's like well damn what do we do now and then oh hercules you know oh Uh, so really that's gonna be dope hercules is such a good underutilized character Um, for sure uh, yeah, I, I also had that same trepidation, like, oh, here we go, Greek gods. But the way Al and, and his team, like, presented it felt kind of new gods-ish. Yes. Like, 
it felt like they were on New Genesis or something. And I really vibed with that. Hmm. I vibe with that damn, like, city or or, or whatever that that phases out of dimension. That is really cool. That's a great idea. Uh, And Rocket in a suit I vibe with. (laughs) Guys, I'm just going to come out here and say it, and this might be kind of a hot take. One Cup Ball's Hercules is kind of hot. Is that a hot take? I feel like, yeah. It's a beefcake. I'm into it. He likes how low cut it is, right? Yeah. Jeez, boys. <laughs> Yo, that one page where uh, it's like where Hercules a, it's, is standing there in the low cut pants. I know, dude. That one too. That one too. Um, but the where it's like a big circle and there's a bunch of interweaving yes. uh, panels and oh, stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, that was really cool. Really I cool. love that. I love shit like that so much. It's like very cinematic and. I didn't like that page at all. Oh, really? That, that double. That yeah, I didn't like it at all. I don't know why. Well, Just, I know why. It's because Marvel Boy's in his his short shorts in the top right of it. I understand. <laughs> no, I. That's I, you the know. thing. They're not even short shorts, and somehow that makes them worse. <laughs> It was just confusing. There was there was a lot going on. It wasn't immediately clear how to follow this deal. Uh. And I, I don't think I don't for me I don't think you should be trying to confuse people in your in your number one like let us let us if you're gonna do crazy stuff like let's build uh, but that was just me obviously you guys liked it so that's cool uh, what I really liked was the the way he broke the issue up so uh, the first half is kind of like what you would expect the issue one to be where it's like. There's this big problem. We don't want to solve it. You know, how are we going to solve it? Let's build a team. Our team sucks. Uh, but this is all we've got. And so, you know, he's like, uh, Star-Lord's like, then it's us. And then you get the double pager, uh, you know, given the credits and stuff. I thought that was a really, really nice way to introduce kind of like a prologue almost. Uh, he really made great use, Ewing did, of his page space. And then when you turn that page and get on get get on with the issue, it's like holy shit! Like now we're into crazy space stuff. Now we're into this big battle. So I just really love the way uh, he broke that down. Yeah, yeah. I think I think the pacing of the issue was definitely to its benefit because I feel like that moment feels like it could have been the end of the issue in a lesser yeah. run. You know? Yeah. Um, that too, Pete. And I I think that works really well. And I, I did want to call out one other um, page where I thought there was some there was some pretty creative paneling that I liked. It's the it's the page right before uh, the introduction of Hercules, and it's got like a a four panel layout where they're like offset, and then there's the middle row has three, and there's one bigger one in the middle, and then the bottom is four that are equally sized, and it's like there's a lot of like cool little touches like that where there's like making creative use of this the page and like it makes all of the different moments like feel a little bit different where they there's a lot of those like long rectangular panels and it'll be like four or five of them on a page like showing the action like it gives it this very like um like almost like hard cut kind of feel you know it was very tense. Like you could yeah. see these, yeah, these scenes playing out very quickly. 
Yeah, and, and, sure. and I think I think particularly for like the high like the heavy stakes combat moments and stuff like that, like it really it gives you a sense of gravity. And it's not it's not something you see all the time, so I wanted to just give a shout out to that. I'm really, really excited to see where this goes. Yeah, I think this book has heat for sure. Like I think the the line work is definitely like real solid and obviously Al is a name to watch right now um coming off of um, not off of but you know what i mean um in light of immortal hulk so yeah i think i think this book could really could hit i mean and obviously the guardians still have a lot of steam i think yeah yeah very strong offering for this first issue and i think that if they can keep the momentum going there's no reason why this book can't be potentially the flagship of all the space stuff that Marvel is clearly building towards yeah. right now. Uh, and, so, yeah. And I, I feel like, obviously, the Guardians are a natural linchpin for that because in a post-James Gunn Guardians world, they're, like, pretty much the most, you know, identifiable cosmic product, you know, or characters, IP, whatever. So, yeah, I feel like if this hits and it's good, like, this is a really good foundation to build the rest of that stuff out on you know yeah so if you guys are enjoying it uh let us know reach out to us to talk about how you feel about guardians i think this is a book that a lot of you will get a lot out of if you do choose to pick it up uh you can do that by joining our discord and speaking to us there uh short of that you can also get us on all podcast hosting platforms if you feel like leaving us a message related to this or anything else we talked about on the show you can do so there while you're there make sure you leave us a review a like whatever the equivalent is on the platform that you're choosing uh you can get us on social media wherever you pick that up at at the comics pals if you want to write to us you can do so at the comics pals at gmail.com on youtube we are the comics pals of course youtube.com slash the comics pals come give us a subscribe Share the love, like the video, share it with your friends. All that stuff is free to do. Helps us out a lot more than it costs you. Uh, do like Mitchell did and write into the show. We've had great interaction with you guys so far this year. We really want to keep that going. Uh, it is important to us. Mitchell did say he felt like we really wanted to hear from you guys. Uh, he's right about that, not just with that episode, but with all episodes that we do. It's important to us to get to know you guys better, to know what it is that you like and don't like, and uh, what books you're really clicking with, you know? Um, and uh, we appreciate any and all interaction that we get, so let's keep that going. Uh, of course, don't forget our book clubs. As we said, Spider-Man, Life Story, Chip Zdarsky, Mark Bagley, you're going to want to check that out. We enjoyed it a lot, to varying degrees. Listen to the conversation on Tuesday or whenever it is that you can listen to that. We've got plenty of other book clubs for you guys to go ahead and check out. Lots of really, really great content. We worked our asses off last year putting out great book clubs for you guys to enjoy. And we really appreciate all of the support on that end and the listens. They mean a lot to us. And, uh, yeah, let's do some plugs. Pete, jump in. Thank you guys for joining us here to another episode of The Comics Pals. Uh, I'm at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. Come connect with me. Uh, talk to me about uh, what you're reading right now. And uh, if you want to get some more content from me, I am also available over on LootPots.com. I host their weekly Nintendo podcast, The Potscast, as well as the Patreon-exclusive show, After Dark. So uh, if you want to listen to me talk more about other things, go there. Kill. You can find my work at KaleWard.com. That's C-A-L-E-W-A-R-D.com. 
And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Toto in Toe. That's T O T O I N T O W, where you can watch me do these, uh, these, uh, what do you even call these things on Instagram? The, uh, the shuffling, <laughs> the sh- uh, you're doing them like every day. <laughs> yeah. They're a lot of fun. You can, you can watch my immense disappointment when I got, uh, Jean Grey as which X-Men I am. Did you not yeah. share that with us? That we, need to, we need to put that on the actual pals. Unbelievable. Instagram. I, I would have sworn you knew Pause. that. Yeah. Yeah. It was. So, does that mean that Sean's attracted to kale? He's Gene Gray. Yes. <laughs> Yes. I'm gonna Look, buy, always had sexual I, I am going to buy a gun <laughs> right now, and I'm going to end it all, oh my because God. for Kale to be the one, to be Jean Grey. <laughs> Look, man, I'm not happy about it either. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, I just saw that uh, Mur- Murphy got Professor X, and no. uh, Tyler got uh, Wolverine, so... Yes. Tyler should have um, got Glob. So it's some kind of weird perverted X-Men casting is basically what I'm putting down. Okay. So All right. Uh so anyway. We should have done that for the show. You heard it here first. Sean X Kale. No. Sean X Gun. <laughs> Marco. You can find me at Mr. Marco Anamoto on Instagram and Twitter. Um, also check out my website, marcocunalata.com, C-U-N-A-L-A-T-A. And yes, uh, recommend me more of that indie stuff. Yo, Mitchell, I'm going to pick up as many of those books as I can because that's dope. Oh, yo, and uh, Olympia, great. Yeah, thanks, Mitchell. <coughs> Marco. <laughs> Cough. Uh. <laughs> Go ahead, Phil. Uh, you can find me on all social media platforms at Cyborg Bebop. Not TikTok, though I should have one. That would be cool. You really should. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, you can also find me at my website, www.robliefeld.com. Uh, <laughs> check out all the latest happenings Amazing. with me. Uh, and uh, anyone that's out there that is uh, a strong artist and good at art, I, I really want you to uh, draw Kale anamorphing into a basset hound. I think that would be really satisfying. <laughs> My God, yes. Just just me turning into yeah, droopy dog. Just, just make that happen, someone, please. And uh, post it in our Discord or on Twitter or something. Uh, that's all I got. Real quick, you guys. So I, I wanted to go to marcocunalata.com. Look at the picture he has on his contact he's, page. He's, he's such a... That is something else. <laughs> yeah, you guys dude. Are... Smooth if you guys are fuck. not watching on YouTube, go to marketcutalata.com. <laughs> Do yourself a favor. Casanova over here. As for me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram only at Sean Soapbox. Hit me up to talk about, well, hit me up to grieve me, quite frankly, because Rip. I'm done with this life. <laughs> uh, knowing what I know now about Kale I don't want to live on this planet anymore. Uh, oh, now hold on. Why is it? Why is it knowing something about me? I had nothing to do with this. I didn't choose this. <laughs> I don't care what you chose or didn't choose. It's a fact about you. And now I've got a problem, and I've got to <laughs> die. I didn't choose the gray life. The gray life chose me. True. Yeah, well, today's Jean Grey Day, as always. Uh, with that, we're the Comics Pal signing off. Take care, guys. See you next week. Pretty sure you said that last week. <laughs>